The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Bloomberg Intelligence Talking Transports podcast. I'm your host, Lee Klaskow, Senior Freight Transportation and Logistics Analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence, Bloomberg's in-house research arm. We're delighted to have Judy McReynolds, Chairman, President, and CEO of ArcBest Corporation, as our guest on the podcast. ArcBest is a publicly traded trucking and logistics provider under the ticker ARCB space US on the terminal with a market cap of around $2.6 billion. Judy guides ArcBest with over 30 years of experience in the transportation and logistics industry, including 26 years at the company. In 2010, she was named ArcBest president and CEO. Then in 2016, she was elected as chairman of the board of ArcBest. She's been very active in the past at the American Transportation Research Institute and the American Trucking Association over the years. She was also honored as an inductee in, into the Arkansas Business Hall of Fame in February 2023. A certified public accountant, Judy holds a bachelor's degree in accounting from the University of Oklahoma, so go Sooners. Welcome to the podcast, Judy. Well, thank you so much, Lee. I'm happy to be here. So can you tell uh, the people out there a little bit about ArcBest? Because uh, it might not be a household name for everybody. Well, sure. Um, ArcBest um, is a multi-billion dollar integrated logistics company, and we leverage our technology and a full suite of shipping and logistics solutions to meet our customers' uh, complex supply chain needs. Um, through um, our logistics platform, we offer ground, air, and ocean transportation through a variety of providers, including our lesson truckload carrier, ABF, um, our truckload service with Molo, and our Panther Premium Logistics fleet. Uh, we also have household goods moving through our UPAC uh, offering. And our tech company, ArcVest Technologies, really provides the innovative solutions and technologies and advanced analytics that really help support our customers uh, through these solutions and uh, helps to keep the global supply chain moving. All right, great. So can you talk about what solutions makes up your asset base and non-asset businesses? Tell me a little bit about each one, if you would. Yes. Uh, well, our asset-based solutions are, it's really a network um, that serves the less than truckload industry, and that's through ABF Freight. I think uh, maybe some would recognize the green and gold trucks um, out there, and that's a business that's been in business since 1923. So we're celebrating our 100th anniversary. But you know, we have uh, 240 service centers, um, and it's just a great resource uh, for customers because we own the resources, we have the people. And, you know, oftentimes that matters uh, most to our customers. And it's also a very flexible network that works well with our other solutions, which matters a lot to customers as well. And then on the full, full load side, um, recently we bought Molo uh, back in November 2021, and that really filled out our full load solution. 
It's a very important solution, you know, for our customers and again, integrates well with the rest of what we do. Uh, Panther Premium Logistics was a company that we bought back in 2012. That's where uh, our ground expedite and premium logistics offerings um, are, are done. And, um, and that's a very important offering for customers, particularly in certain environments. And, um, you know, when, when we talk about our household goods moving, that's kind of an interesting thing for people. But we actually do um, offer a service where the customer loads their freight in a trailer um, and, and we uh, can put a bulkhead behind it, or we have what we call reload cubes that allow uh, a room full of furniture to be put in the cube and, and put on our trailer. And then we also, through that, um, you know, we can do commercial applications as well. So right. that's just a little bit more about each of those solutions. It's a, it's a lot of different businesses. And can you talk a little bit about how the asset-based business and the non-asset-based business maybe complement each other or what kind of synergies you get from each other? Yes, um, it's really, really important to understand, um, uh, first and foremost, how we interact with our customers. Um, that's really a, a, a where we develop the approach, the integration that we use and what we offer. And uh, when you see yourself through the customer's lens, you recognize that most of the spend that they have uh, centers around full load. Uh, for many, many customers. And when, um, you know, we recognize that and, and the, the compliment that would provide to the rest of what we were doing, we went on a path of doing several smaller acquisitions. And then again, I mentioned the Molo acquisition most recently. But um, what we find is that if we do business with a customer that has truckload needs, that um, we oftentimes, maybe more than 60% of the time, end up doing business with that customer in the less than truckload network as well, because customers have those needs. I mean, it's across their supply chain. Many times the combinations of these solutions are really the best answer for them from an efficiency and service standpoint. And is the brokerage business feeding the, the asset-based business as well? Yes, it does. I mean, we have interactions where, you know, we might uh, pick up a, a full load on the West Coast and interject it at some point into the less than truckload network. Maybe it's in Dallas or Atlanta and have the distribution, uh, the city operation that goes with our less than truckload network actually do the delivery. And so it's it's been um, really complimentary. The other thing that's so interesting is when we do uh, business uh, with a customer that has more than one solution involved, we have five times the revenue, four times the profit, and we retain that business nine percentage points more often because it's just so responsive. Right. And, and for those that don't know, less than truckload uh, freight is usually palletized uh, freight. A, a carrier will consolidate and, and, and shift that freight to different regions. So it's not, the, the shipper is not using a full truck. They're using maybe like one to who knows, 12 pallets of, of freight. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm assuming most of your freight's palletized, right? Most of it is, most of it. Um, you know, certainly um, it's, it's done in a way that is shrink wrapped or kept separate from other shipments. But, you know, that's one of the things I think that, that is unique about us is the amount of, um, uh, difficult freight or freight that, you know, has some kind of a challenge associated with it. 
you know, we do that business as well, too. And uh, we're, we're known for doing a great job of that from both a, you know, a, a claims ratio standpoint or safety and security. Right. And, and, and just uh, for palletizing freight, it makes it much more easier for the, for the trucking company to move the freight. Um, one of my first forays into freight transportation as a, as a young man was uh, in college. I, I loaded unloaded uh, trucks uh, for APA trucking. Uh, during the summer as the night shift. It was the hardest job I ever had in my life. Uh, <laughs> and, and it made me a better student because I realized that um, I wasn't cut out for it. Uh, and it was not palletized. It was one box at a time. So oh, was, yes. Uh, and you, was, so you understand the efficiency associated yes. with palletized freight. <laughs> yeah. So I want to stay on the LTL market. It's been a crazy market. Um, the BI LTL peer group is up 61%. Arc Best is up 55% uh, year to date. Uh, well uh, surpassing the S&P, which is up around 20%. What's going on in the LTO market? Can you talk about um, you know, the yellow bankruptcy and what that's done to fundamentals uh, for the industry and, and specifically for ArcBest? Well, it's been um, a really interesting year, especially coming off of record years in 2022 and then also in 2021 for us. Um, you know, As we, we entered 2023, uh, we noted, you know, a bit of a, a weakness in the macro environment. I think, you know, the, there's been a sequential uh, decline or, or a, uh, a kind of a weaker environment associated with industrial and manufacturing uh, for, I want to say, 12, 13 months, you know, something like that. And that's after a more than two year period of strength. And so that was present. And uh, we were addressing that and dealing with that especially as we entered the second quarter, which was seasonally not as strong as what uh, you would typically see. And so, um, but at, we were also, and we may get into this a little bit later, we were also wrapping up a labor contract um, in the month of June that was voted in in early July. So for us, we had a lot on our plates that we were dealing with. Well, you know, at that point, we were also hearing uh, rumblings about the potential for a yellow either work stoppage or bankruptcy. And, and uh, you know, we have uh, connections and relationships with many, many customers. Um, and some of those customers were customers that they were impacting as well. And so it was interesting uh, to see all of that come together. But um, I think maybe the audience knows this already, but Yellow went bankrupt in early August. Um, and so um, that was a significant event because uh, my understanding is they did 50,000 shipments a day and, you know, had a network that was larger than ours in terms of locations. And so um, so we, you know, toward the end of June into July, we had lots of customer interactions asking for solutions, maybe the expansion of what we were already doing with them. And um, we were responsive. We had lots of ways of responding, either through our asset-based network or through the work that we do in our managed transportation area, which actually places freight on other LTO carriers. And so in many cases, and we're continuing uh, to be able to say yes to them to um, you know, uh, solve their challenges for the moment. And then also we've seen over time you know, some impact there too. Um, so it's been interesting from that standpoint, but you know, I, I don't want to, uh, you know, uh, forget the, the, you know, kind of the underlying weakness because that has actually been impacting some of the other solutions. Our truckload solution and ground expedite solution have been impacted by that. 
Right. And, and just for the listeners out there, when a trucking company is kind of seems to be in trouble, a lot of shippers will pull their freight away from them because they're afraid their freight might get stuck in that network and they won't know when their shipments are going to be delivered. And it becomes like a run on the bank, uh, you know, snowballing effect uh, from the, uh, a financial impact in yellow was uh, financially strained for quite some time. So this was kind of like, uh, I don't know what, 15 years in the making, uh, this, this uh, the, the bankruptcy. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, um, it know. really, uh, and and we we felt for the customers. We did. I mean, because many of them, uh, you know, had done business with them for a long time, and were were looking for an answer quickly. Mm-hmm. And is this like um, kind of stopped any labor issues that you might have in terms of getting people, uh, whether it's uh, salespeople, uh, truck drivers, dock workers? Has the failure of Yellow kind of made it easier for you guys to to find people and retain people? Um, it, it has made it easier. We're, you know, certainly we're a natural place for them to go. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we have two examples, I think, in our Chicago uh, distribution center and in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. We have full road boards, which is road drivers, which are the most difficult to um, hire. And, um, and and so that's an unusual thing for us. We're, we're glad for that. But we have been a home for hundreds of yellow drivers and then also some dock workers as well. Um, and, and so I, you know, it's been gratifying to be able to find, you know, that those workers, uh, but also I think uh, to be a location for them to go um, as they're transitioning. So we're recording this uh, mid-December. Um, you know, you mentioned that there's some seasonal weakness with the failure of yellow. Are you seeing tonnage or shipment growth? Or are you just seeing declines um, smaller than they might have would have been? I, I think overall, it's smaller than they might have been. But, you know, what I like to refer to is is our uh, the less than truckload core business. Um, in the third quarter, relative to what we were seeing previous, so maybe a comparison back to June, um, we were uh, we we really benefited from about twenty percent growth in in our core business, and you know that that's good business for us. It's business that you know works well within the network. Um, it enriches you know the productivity um, really across the board for the workforce, and so that was beneficial to us in, in the results that we had for the third quarter. Um, and you know that that. Uh, has worked well. You know, we what we did was we have some transactional uh, business that we are aware of. Um, we tamped that down, so to speak, and saw the increase in the core business. The two, you know, are, are kind of netting out when you look at the total result. So that's what I was referencing when I said, um, you know, less negative than it would be. Um, but, you know, certainly a positive for our network, our, our people and, and productivity. Yeah. And also, um, you know, the, the industry has gotten more consolidated. The LTL industry is much more consolidated than the truckload industry, which is extremely fragmented. Anyone with a CDL and a couple of bucks in their pocket can get into that business, whereas the LTL business is very asset intensive, whether it's equipment uh, or facilities. Um, so the market's obviously gotten more consolidated. The LTL pricing has been pretty good. Uh, so wh- where do you see pricing going from here? Well, you know, I feel like that uh, there's never been a time where the resources that are being deployed in an LTL network, whether it's the real estate assets, the, you know, the equipment, 
and the people have been more recognized. And so I, you know, I feel uh, good about the strength of the pricing environment now. And it, it, you know, really shouldn't change, you know, based on what we know going into 2024, even though there is quite a bit of uncertainty about, you know, the economic environment in 2024. Um, one thing that I've uh, been pointing out to, you know, some that we talk to investors and others is just the recognition that Yellow's network is out of service right now. And if you right. think about a network that was serving 50,000 shipments a day, not being present, you know, as we roll uh, into 2024, that will still be the case for some time. You know, they're not even fully complete with the auction process on the real estate. And, and you know, although they've gone through the first phase of it, uh, what we know is that many of these facilities need a, a good amount of work in order to get back going. And um, so, you know, I feel like as we start the year, you know, that's going to be a factor in the overall tightness of the the carrier uh, capacity, so to speak, in the industry, which bodes right. well for pricing. Yeah. And uh, we we published our uh, our LTL outlook uh, last month and we are calling for mid single digit uh, uh, increases in revenue per 100x fuel surcharges. So mm -hmm. uh, that's kind of how we're, we're expecting the, the market to go next year. You know, you, you mentioned some of these facilities that Yale used to own are, are no longer mm -hmm. um in service, and you know, there there was just an announcement. Uh, I think it was last week or two weeks ago about a couple of uh, carriers that have bought some properties. Are are you guys involved in that? Have you bought any properties? Uh -huh. are you looking we did. At properties? We we uh, we came away from that initial part of the auction with three. And again, yeah. there's they're still working through. Um, I think there were over forty properties that weren't auctioned for one reason right. or another. And then there's also some leased facilities. Um, you know, and so it's not complete. But we, in the initial phase, we came away with three locations that were much needed. Right. Are these are these locations that are going to be additional to your network? Or are you going to maybe replace them with smaller locations or locations that are maybe not in the best uh, geographic position to serve a certain market? Well, in each case, they're replacing uh, and actually growing in terms of capacity each of the locations. And so, um, so there are replacements on the one hand, but they're larger, uh, somewhat larger uh, than the uh, location that they're replacing. Okay. And just switching gear a little bit, I, I kind of shared, you know, my exciting transportation career as working the graveyard shift at APA Trucking uh, <laughs> in, in the early 1990s. Um, what, uh, what got you interested in the transportation industry? Well, it's, it's interesting. Um, I, you know, when I think back about where my career started, um, you know, I, I, as you mentioned, I have an accounting degree that I graduated from University of Oklahoma with. And when I was in college, I worked for a prominent lawyer in, in Norman um, and, you know, was able to use some of my accounting skills in his entrepreneurial business, but, you know, just grew in my understanding of, of small business when I was with him. And he encouraged me to think bigger. And uh, I was ended up ended up at Arthur Anderson in Oklahoma City. Um, back then, it was a big eight accounting firm. And right. what um, where what the business that I learned there for the most part was you know, the oil and gas business. And so I leveraged, you know, what I had learned in, in Oklahoma City into a position um, in, in Little Rock, Arkansas with EY. 
And my husband's originally from Arkansas, so that was kind of a natural move for us. But um, it's uh, our, our company was a client of mine when I was at EY and then also several other uh, trucking companies that, that you would recognize. For instance, the Arkansas Freightways, that was uh, the predecessor to FedEx Freight, ultimately, uh, was a client of mine. And uh, you know, Maverick, flatbed carrier, mm-hmm. um, USA Truck. Um, and, you know, so there, that, that's where I got to learn the business. And I could see from there um, what uh, was good about the business, what I felt good about in terms of the leadership teams. I was on the tax side, so I also worked with the individual owners or the uh, CEOs of these companies, and I got to know them better. Um, but I could also see that there was some risk taking that was going on, and that didn't always result in success. Um, in our industry. And so that's where I got to know the business. That's where I got to know our company. And ultimately, I was asked to join our company as the controller. And so I, you know, I came into the business um, in a accounting and finance area, but I knew based on my experience, just how much I love the business. And so I wanted to make sure that I did the work that I had efficiently and uh, give myself time to be in those sales and operations and pricing meetings and to spend some time in the field and that sort of thing. And, you know, right. that that's what um, led me to being CFO and then ultimately CEO of our company. Did you, did you face any um, obstacles when you were starting in the industry? Well, what I'd say is, uh, as you know, in, in public accounting, you worked with a good uh, balance of men and women, you know, in the work that you were doing. I did recognize right. that most of the, you know, the trucking uh, leaders were were men. And I remember whenever I came to work and I would sit in conference rooms, you know, here in Fort Smith, uh, that I was typically the only woman sitting at the table. But you know, right. Robert Young, uh, the CEO that I worked for, he was super supportive of me. Our board was very supportive of me. And, you know, I just spent my time not focused on that, but learning the business and making sure that I was available to gain as much knowledge as I could. Right. And, and I think you are, uh, you know, you're someone that uh, a lot of uh, uh, young women can look up to uh, when they're thinking about uh, getting into the trucking industry because, you know, it's it's become... Uh, a much more diverse industry, even in the last 10 years. Oh, yes. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, I appreciate it's... you saying that. But yes, I agree with that. And, you know, ArcBest. So ArcBest uh, is turning 100 years old. Um, so it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty incredible feat. Not too many companies can say that they're, they've, they've reached 100. Um, certainly not a lot of people can say that. Um, can, can you talk about, you know, some of the major milestones ArcBest reached before getting to that 100-year mark? Well, it, it's been a fun year for reflection on that, Lee. I mean, we, we recently had a, a roundtable of past leaders uh, that we recorded, um, and uh, it's just useful and valuable uh, discussion that we had with that group. But, you know, our company is very interesting. If, if anyone wants to look it up and just look at the past history, but you know, we um, initially, uh, after Robert Young's father uh, came into the business in, ni- in the 1950s, it was important back then because the industry was regulated for you to grow 
uh, geographically. That was the way that you expanded. And this, as the stories told, our company had to overcome a lot of challenges with businesses that were almost out of business because those right. were the companies that were for sale. And so, you know, it, it was interesting, you know, that initial growth. Um, and then also uh, the stories were told about the, the costing model that was put in place. It was just so valuable to understand your profit. The, the, when the industry was deregulated in 1980, um, you know, it was important to have a new, fresh look at that, which, you know, we were able to do and put in place an approach that worked well. Many companies didn't. Um, in 1988, we went through a hostile takeover attempt and survived that. Um, it took the company private until 1992 and then went back public. And then in 1995, um, our company bought Worldway um, to gain ownership of Carolina Freight. And we actually put ABF and Carolina together, which turned out to be um, a bet the company moved, so to speak. It was very, very challenging, but the company overcame that as well. And then um, in recent years, um, you know, as, as I was asked to take leadership, we overcame the Great Recession, uh, over a hundred million dollar loss. And that's when we really embarked on the strategy that we deploy today. Um, we looked at our customers, uh, uh, surveyed them, discussed with them what their needs were, and really uh, approached this strategic decision to transform our company into a logistics company. So there's a lot there, but it's very, very interesting and, and uh, filled with overcoming challenges, strengthening our foundation and making the company better. Great. Well, well, happy birthday. It's going to be one heck of a cake. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, you mentioned uh, earlier in the conversation labor um, that you signed a new contract with uh, your labor force. Uh, uh -huh. For those that don't know, ArcBest is a Teamster LTL carrier. Can you talk about your relationship with labor and what impact uh, the latest contract has on costs? Um, yes. Um, well, first of all, we understand the importance of having a relationship with labor. And, you know, that's not always the easiest thing to do, but it's been uh, really a cornerstone of our approach is to make sure that we do. And so Seth Runzer that runs ABF Freight has a relationship with Sean O'Brien, you know, and, uh, and then underneath that, we have good relationships with others that are involved both in negotiations and then operations. Um, that was really, really important um, in navigating, you know, to a successful outcome, the labor contract that we have. Um, and so that we had finished a contract that was about a 2% overall increase that went from 2018 into 2023. And so we, we knew that uh, that was uh, below the level of inflation, so to speak, in the last couple of years. And so we had to um, I rectify that, adjust that. And so our first uh, year's increase in, in wages uh, was about a 13 and a half percent increase, which, you know, that put us in a better place, I think, to um, attract and retain good people. And we've done that. And so it adds, um, you know, some some dollars, probably about twenty five million dollars a quarter. The labor contract does. But, you know, the um, the strength of our company comes from our overall approach. Uh, we navigated from second quarter into third very well with actually an improvement in the operating uh, ratio for ABF, which is basically the inverse of operating margin and um, and and uh, absorbed that and did very well. So 
it's been fine and good uh, since we've finished that up. Right. And so, ha- how how do you mitigate those those additional costs? What what do you what are you doing? Yeah, I'm, it's really really important to stay focused on um, any approach that you can use to gain efficiency in the business. But you know, Lee, you and I have been around this business for a long time, and I can tell you this: there has never been a time where there's a greater amount of information and visibility, whether it's the units of work or the specific profile of the freight that you're handling. And so we're taking all of that data and information and our great analytics people and other technology and innovation tools that we have to better understand each area so that we can uh, further you know, transform into an even more efficient company. That's what our shippers expect us to do. And, and that's what we're doing. A good example might be our city routes. Um, you know, we put through a change there that uses uh, algorithmic AI, you know, to help us uh, plan those most efficiently. And it's improved our operating uh, expenses by about a half a million dollars a month. And that's just phase one of it. And so we have initiatives in fleet optimization, you know, our road uh, line haul moves and all across the company, you know, we're working to gain efficiencies. And that's what you have to do when you have a labor cost increase uh, such as that. Right. Um, and just for those out there, uh, consensus expectations are for ArcBest to generate a, an operating ratio of 91.5% uh, for their LTL business. And that may be uh, going down by 150 basis points uh, to 90%. And again, lower the number, the better. So when it goes down, it's a good thing. Um, mm-hmm. So that gives an EBIT margin in, in the, the, the low double digits. Could you, could you talk about, you know, there's been a lot of talk about electric uh trucks and uh-huh. you know where they fit in in the industry are you guys playing around with uh, ev trucks yes and what kind what what has your experience have been so far well we have um you know some straight trucks forklifts and yard tractors that we're evaluating um it's pretty small in terms of the units involved in that but we're, what we're trying to do is use them in regular operations and try to better understand where they fit But, you know, I can tell you one of the biggest challenges with this experimentation is just getting, you know, the charging uh, uh, setups into your facilities. Um, You know, many times that takes months and months or it's uh, it's pretty expensive. And so, you know, we're we're working through this, but it's not just the acquisition of the vehicles and then putting them into service, but it's all that goes with that. And, you know, we're very conscious um, about our carbon footprint. Our customers are interested in in our focus there. And, you know, we, we also do other things when we're able to get involved in the management of a, um, of a customer supply chain, because oftentimes through, you know, either pool distribution or consolidations or load planning, you know, we can actually reduce, uh, you know, the amount of miles and therefore fuel that's spent, um, you know, in that uh, supply chain execution. And so there's a number of ways that we're attacking, you know, carbon emissions. Um, but, you know, we've made a lot of progress just understanding what ours are. And uh, that's important work to do because that's what you can then use uh, to make improvements going forward. Right. And, and it might make sense for the pickup and delivery trucks in an LTL network, but it might not make sense for the line haul. But the problem yes. is you use those units in both networks, right? Right. That's right. That's exactly <laughs> right. You would, If you had to be specific, 
uh, it would be more of an operational uh, challenge, perhaps a bit of an inefficiency as you were doing that. Mm-hmm. So, so I guess from what you just said, you're an extreme early innings, kind of putting your yes. toe in the water right now. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Do you do you guys have any long-term targets for ArcBest, uh, whether they're financial targets um, or operational targets? Um, we do. Um, you know, we set out there for ourselves uh, seven to eight billion in 2025. Now we set those targets um, a couple of years ago, and you know we still feel really good about the opportunity set that we have. You know, I think what's been a bit more of a challenge is just, you know, the the macro weakness that we talked about earlier. And I'm, and I'm sorry, that se- that's seven to eight. That's in revenue? It's eight, seven to eight billion in revenue. Revenue. Mm-hmm. Okay, sorry. Yeah, Go ahead. it's in revenue. Yeah. And, you know, but, but I think uh, when we look at our opportunity set, you know, the markets were in uh, amount to nearly 500 billion uh, through the survey work that we do with our most loyal customers, we know that 80% of them need the logistics solutions that we offer. And if we were successful just with them over time, we should be able to double the size of our company, which, you know, is is close to $5 billion as we speak today. So, you know, we're, we've got lots of opportunity. Um, and with the additional solutions that we've brought in over time, it just makes that, you know, more real. And how much of that is going to be through M&A versus organic growth? Well, we we have uh, really all the runway we need with organic. It's just a question of timing. And so we're constantly evaluating, you know, the, the opportunities for acquisition that might come on the market. You know, we're going to be most interested in ones that would add scale to what we already do or that would have some sort of a technology play that would improve the interactions you know, that we have with customers or our own um, operational excellence or efficiency that we could gain. And so, you know, we're not super urgent uh, that we have to do something, but, you know, we, we understand the benefit of adding to the scale of what we already do. And, you know, that's what we did with the Molo acquisition in November 2021. And, and does ArcBest have any revenue outside the United States? Uh, we do, but it's fairly small. We have a good presence up in, in Canada uh, that we've had for decades. Um, and uh, we do ocean shipping as well. Um, we have partners, you know, overseas, but we serve, um, you know, 90% of the markets. And and so a lot of times, you know, we are able to handle a supply chain uh, for a customer end to end. And so, you know, we've been talking, ArcBest has asset uh businesses, non-asset businesses. So what do you do with your CapEx? Kind of how do you target Mm -hmm. CapEx? And since you're uh, uh, an an accountant at at heart, you know, (laughs) when you're looking at the the numbers, where are you spending, where are you making the investments in ArcBest? If I look back at the last few years, uh, probably 70% or so of that has been organic. And so there's a large uh, capital uh, amount that just to replace the fleet, and make sure that we're staying, um, you know, on top of the most optimal age for tractors and trailers and that sort of thing. But also, um, you know, we have uh, embarked on a real estate strategy even before this yellow event uh, was in place that would um, add a good number of doors um, to our LTL network and allow us to grow in the mid single digit 
um, tonnage range. And so, you know, we have a, a quite a few things going on there. We've added about 200 doors to an almost 9,000 door network, and we have about 500 uh, that are going to be coming on in the next year or so. So, you know, those uh, allow for growth and, um, you know, are, are take us on a little bit higher end of the percentage that I just shared. The other spin that we have relates to what I would call transformational spin, which, mm -hmm. you know, to some extent that would be in the acquisition arena. The other side of that, I don't know if you've heard about Vox, you know, our freight movement system yep. that we launched last year at the ProMat conference. Um, you know, that would be in that category. And then we also spend some dollars understanding opportunities for disruptive innovation. So in other words, lines of business that we know we could um, attack or embark on, but we're not yet fully, you know, operational in those. So, you know, I think that's a good blend of making sure that we stay ahead of our customers and, and making sure that, that we're ready for, you know, the next hundred years. And can you just talk about the life cycle of an ArcBest truck? Uh, you know, I know in the truckload space, sure. uh, they usually like to sell their trucks after three or four years. What's it, what's, what's the truck's life in, uh, in our, at ArcBest? Yeah, I mean, typically we have Class A tractors and we would use them in the, the road operation or line haul, which is typically between cities, um, you know, for about three years. And so, you know, you're, you're going to see that unit, um, you know, be on average a year and a half old, right? What we typically do is we'll take that unit then, transition it out of the road fleet and put it in the city operation and it will work there for the next, say, four years. So mm -hmm. up to about seven years total. Um, and uh, we are doing some different things with class sevens to try to better understand, you know, the utility of those in the city operation, but not in the main. And then we also use some straight trucks in certain environments, you know, uh, particularly, say, for instance, around New York City or something, you know, that just make more sense. Gotcha. And, and when you're when you're home, you know, maybe having a glass of wine, reading a book, do, do you read about transportation? Is there a transportation <laughs> book that, that you like to read? You know, we really I, I was thinking, um, you know, a, about that and, and really don't know of a transportation book. Um, but, you know, one thing that I was going to uh, point out to you is we, you know, we have um, a new um, uh, game. It's it's for gamers called the American Truck Simulator. So I'd point you to that. And we okay. recently have our, yeah, our brands um, are operational there and it allows um, a, someone that's in that game to really kind of execute on the business that we're in. And it, it's, it's really a popular thing, but um you know, check I, that out. so from a book standpoint, I, I do plenty of reading, as you might imagine, as you do, yeah. I know. But, you know, there's not a good trucking book. I'm going to yeah. I'm going to be in search of that, though. <laughs> maybe you should maybe you should write one. I think yeah, uh, a book about your career would be pretty interesting. <laughs> well, um, I think we're going to end it there. Uh, Judy, I really want to thank you for your time. And, uh, you know, I, I want to thank everyone for tuning in. If you like the episode, please subscribe and leave a review. We've lined up a, a number of great guests for the podcast. Check back to hear conversations with CC'd executives, shippers, regulators, and decision makers within the freight transportation markets. Also, if you have any ideas for a future episode, please hit me up on the terminal or on Twitter at Logistics Lee.
Thanks, everyone, and be safe out there. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.